The famous apologetics verse in 1 Peter 3.15 talks about being really an ambassador for hope, giving a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. You know, we are living in a world that is often hopeless, but we're filled with hope. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 1, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We'll explore that more today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. See the word in verse 20, reconcile. If you connect reconcile with having made peace, that is a great definition of reconciliation. Reconciliation is to be at peace with God. If you have peace with God, you have hope. Peace with God is what gives birth to hope. But if you don't have peace with God, then you're hopeless because you're looking for hope in all the wrong places. You know, many of us could come up and tell our story this morning and we could say, you know what? I looked for hope everywhere besides the one who is hope for years and years. And sadly, for us as Christians, sometimes we still do that. We know we have the hope of all mankind, but we still sometimes look for hope in all the wrong places. But we have peace with God. Reconciliation in verse 20 is a restoration of fellowship between God and sinners. The object of Christ's coming was the work of reconciliation. The blood-stained cross is where he paid the ransom price. Now, the Gnostics, who their, their doctrines were forming in the book of Colossians, they're being addressed, kind of a weird uh, form of Jewish mysticism and Greek Gnosticism, as I explained to you. And the, these teachers said that Jesus didn't have a physical body, some of them at least, said he was something like a phantom, that he just appeared to be physical. This is called docetism. He just seemed to be physical. But Jesus Christ died in his fleshly body on the cross. His fleshly body, and I think this is to refute the false teachers who were coming around the Colossian Christians, he died in his fleshly body on the cross. And he did this through the blood that he shed. His blood was real. His blood was shed on the cross at Calvary. Notice at verse 20 it says, to reconcile all things. The phrase all things, you could compare it to verse 16 where it says, for by him all things were created, not all other things, as we looked at with our Jehovah's Witness friends in their translation, but all things were made through him. At least at the time of origin, some interpreters have used this verse to argue for universal salvation. It's been suggested that God will not allow anything to fall outside the scope of his saving love in Christ. Since it says all things, some commentators have said, well, then all things are gonna be reconciled to God. Everything, all angels, all people, everything. That is called universalism, but that is simply not biblical. Jesus said of Judas Iscariot, it would have been better for him had he never been born. The Bible says of Satan and the Antichrist that they will burn in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Not all things, not all people will be reconciled to Christ, but all of those who enter into a relationship of peace. After all, that's why he came to reconcile and to shed his blood. 
You say, then what does it mean, Pastor Michael, that it says all things here? Well, most uh, conservative scholars hold to a view that this means all things in terms of the universe. That is, that the physical universe will experience a shalom or a peace. Go to Isaiah 11 for a second. Isaiah 11. Find the Psalms and the Proverbs. Go a little bit to your right. Isaiah 11 that has a few uh, sections like this. And this would include the scope of the physical creation, the universe, and even animals on God's holy mountain. Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, Then a shoot will spring forth from the... will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. Isaiah 11, verse two. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, verse three. He will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And also righteousness with, will be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. By the way, when we see pictures of the lion and the lamb. Technically, it's the wolf and the lamb who are, you know, the wolf is the predator to, to the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. The weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. And they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." Then it will come about in that day, and I believe referring now to the millennial reign of Christ, that the nations will will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Amen? Amen? Colossians 1, let's go back there. So there's a vision in Paul here of a universe that is restored, a universe that comes back into harmony. Part of the reason I decided to teach the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights is because we live in a world of chaos, a world that is in constant threat, a world where there's many wars going on and there's threat of war. And Thursday was the National Day of Prayer, and I hope you got a chance to pray with a group of people there. I went to an event that was put on by KKLA. And at that event, there were many church leaders who had come together just for the purpose of prayer. Because we need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our military. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God honors prayer. And we quoted 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We need to pray. There is a day coming, though, when there will be a universal harmony where ancient predators will be at peace with one another. Well, they are a place where they will learn war no more. Praise God. There's going to be a time when there is no more war, no more curse. There's going to be a universal peace. And we have the down payment of that right now as God has saved us through Christ. 
And although, verse 21, Colossians 1, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. Now, before you were reconciled, we went through, or we were in a period of alienation. The opposite of reconciliation is alienation. If you've ever felt alienated from somebody, you know what a strange and dark feeling that is. You feel like you can't approach them. The picture of alienation is in the fall chapter in Genesis 3, where our first parents take the forbidden fruit. They fall, and what are they doing? They are hiding from God. Those who are involved in alienation, they have not been reconciled to God, hide from God. One of the ways that they hide from God is in their unrighteous deeds. They suppress the truth, Romans 1, in unrighteousness. They turn up the volume in their lives by practicing sin. And we sometimes get the idea, uh, as we talk to people and maybe look at the world and hear people's opinions about God and the world, that a person who does not know God is just kind of neutral, they, they don't really care one way or the other, but this Bible text here says that people who are alienated from God are actually hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. This is how it uh, works out in the life. Romans 8, 7 says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. Have you ever talked to a person, you can talk about any subject in the world, but you bring up Jesus and they get hostile. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, there is a hostility towards God for, and I'm not saying that this is a sweeping reality. Some people are just, you know, maybe just ignorant. But in Genesis 6, 5, we have a picture of a world in rebellion to God. And it says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Hebrew, this has the idea that every time a thought came down the pike of his mind, he found a way to twist it into something distorted and evil. And I fear for our generation right now that's getting bombarded with all this social media and all this garbage that is coming at people, and it's, it's bombarding the thought life of people. And so this is what we were formally. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This is where Paul gives us relief. He says, yet, 22, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body, as I emphasize as we look at the previous verse. How did that happen? Through death, in order to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If you have the NIV, it says, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And all God's people said, thank you, Lord. Now, we have an accuser in Revelation 12 that says he accuses us before the throne of God day and night. But no accusation against a saint will stand because you are cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are free from accusation. Now, today, that's not the reality on the planet, right? There's people who accuse us of stuff all the time. 
But in the heavenly court, whether this means no one will even be able to speak in accusation or if an accusation comes your way, it will not. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what are you wrestling with in your life? In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's no secret the Christian life is difficult, but you can take comfort in knowing you are not alone. In Pastor Michael Lance's book, Suit Up, he shows you a revealing look at God's armor and how the Lord will equip you to face the world. You'll learn about the nature of the battle, who the real enemy is, and God's provision to be victorious. Learn about how each piece equips you for spiritual battle when you get your copy of Suit Up today on walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. You are cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are free from accusation. Now today, that's not the reality on the planet, right? There's people who accuse us of stuff all the time. But in the heavenly court, whether this means no one will even be able to speak in accusation or if an accusation comes your way, It will not hold court because you are cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are, this is the language from Old Testament sacrifices, you are holy and without blemish before the sight of Almighty God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are free Free from accusation, you are beyond reproach. You say, well, Pastor Michael, I certainly don't feel that way most of the time, nor do I. But Christ is the one who gives me that standing before God. This is what the gospel teaches. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. We have been reconciled to God. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? How's that for hope? See, we have peace with God, which gives us hope, and we are free from accusation. That's what gives us hope. And do you know there's a lot of people walking around today, they're so burdened by their guilt, they're so overwhelmed by things that they've done wrong, and they have a sense of guilt that they constantly live under condemnation. But the Bible says you, if you're in Christ, are free from accusation and free from condemnation. Because if any man or woman be in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You're not condemned. You're going to be convicted at times as a Christian. Because you you may be doing something that the Lord says, that's not what I want you to do, but you're not condemned. But here's an if, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. If you continue in the faith. Now you might be asking, well, Pastor Michael, you just, verse 22 was such good news, but now we have a word if. If we continue, does that mean that I have to keep myself saved? No, I don't think that's what it means. We can't add anything to the perfect, complete work of Christ on the cross. 
But what was happening in Colossae was that the false teachers were preaching another gospel, right? They were saying that Christ could not be fully God. They were saying that Christ could not be fully man. They were saying God had all these emanations and, and matter was evil and all this false teaching was coming to the Colossians and they were listening to it. And if you embrace a false gospel, a false gospel cannot save you. You have to continue in not your faith. Look at verse 23. It says, in the faith. You have to believe the right thing. The faith is a technical term for Christian doctrine. This is where the whole letter is going, by the way. This is not an incidental verse. Verse 23 is a very key verse because it addresses the false teaching coming at the believers at Colossae. What you believe does matter. And Paul says, look, I am I am shocked that you're being moved away from the gospel to another gospel, which is really not another Galatians 1. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel, Paul says, uh, other than the one that we have preached, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Let him be under the curse of God. This is the business of the devil. The devil has been in the counterfeit business ever since he fell. He's been lying to humanity ever since he fell. Oh, maybe you don't need to be that technical about who Christ is or why do we argue about doctrine anyway? Come on. Look, we can argue about peripheral stuff, whether you get dunked when you're baptized, sprinkled or dry cleaned. <laughs> we can argue about that. The mode of baptism, I don't think, is an essential. But the fact of who God is, who is God, and how you get saved is essential. You must have the right gospel. And of course, you must have the right God. The ancient world was filled with false gods. And God said, you shall have no other gods before me. So we must continue in the faith. Look at uh, Colossians 2. Look at verse 8. Paul says, see to it, 2.8, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. See, this is the responsibility of the believer to see to it that no one captivates you through man-made philosophy and empty deception. C28 is a store that actually started in the mall. Uh, the man who started it was converted to Christ it was, as he was driving down the 91 freeway in a brand new Porsche Turbo Carrera. He owned the company Dog Glue, sold it for a bunch of money, pocketed the money, went to a local dealership, bought the Porsche of his dreams, was racing down the 91 freeway and felt an overwhelming sense of emptiness. Paid cash for the car. I would just like to try that once and see if I too felt an overwhelming sense of emptiness. This is what drove him to Christ. He said, look, if money and possessions can't do it, if Christ is the answer, then I'm going to give my life to Christ. Don't be moved away from the hope that is in Christ. That's why when we talk about false teachers and false doctrine, we're not just talking about an area that doesn't really matter much. When we're talking about cults and world religions, we're talking about belief systems that can lead someone away 
from the true saving gospel. So Paul says, I want you to be firm. I want you to be firmly established, verse 23. If you look at Colossians 2, 6, and 7, this is Paul's wish for the Colossians. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, 2, 6, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Get your roots deep. Because when your roots are deep, when the winds blow, you won't be uprooted. You won't be blown down. You won't be blown around like a tumbleweed. You'll have a firm root system in the truth of the gospel. This is what we need. So Paul says this is the hope. Don't be moved away from hope. If you're moved away from hope, what do you have? Do you know people right now who have moved away from their hope in the gospel? Where do you go to when you leave the hope of Christ? Where else would you find answers? Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. What are we going to do now? Go back fishing? What are we going to do now? Go back to our previous life? We've met the Messiah. We've seen miracles of miracles. How can I go back now? But the reality is, as believers, because this world is a hard place to live out your faith, that's one of your great temptations in life, isn't it? It's one of mine to quit, to give up. To, you know, there's a lot of people who, they, they just want their ticket into heaven and they're not terribly concerned about how rooted and grounded they get. One writer says, Paul is not expressing doubt as to whether they will continue on. That is not what the Greek construction means here in verse 23. Scholar Peter T. O'Brien paraphrases the idea, at any rate, if you stand firm in the faith, and I am sure you will. In a very prickly passage in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 6, that has caused many Christians to lose sleep at night. As Paul goes through that section, he says these words, but beloved, Hebrews 6, 9, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Let me just say this. The warning, though, is real. Verse 23 is there for a reason because there are people who do get sold a bill of goods. There are people, you don't hear about this a lot, folks, but let me say this to you. There are people who enter into cultic movements. Do you know that the biggest feeder for the cults is the Christian church? People who have grown up in Sunday school and the Christian faith have migrated to Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, you name it. And often it is because they are not grounded in the essential truth of the gospel. The back door of the church is sometimes bigger than we'd like to think. And part of the problem is, and I'm just being real, is that Christians often don't want to go too deep with their Bibles. They don't want to go too deep into the theology thing. They'll leave that to the experts. But look, every one of us needs to be rooted and grounded. You'll be grounded even when you're pounded. Look, being grounded doesn't mean you're not going to be pounded. Ask the Apostle Paul when you get to heaven. 
But he says, but none of these things move me. Acts 20, I'm going to finish the race. We had a men's breakfast yesterday, and Chris Groma shared with us, and he shared about a runner. She was running the 600 meters. It's pretty much a sprint. It's three laps around the track, but you're running you know, at a sprint pace the whole time. And she was running. She was like second or maybe even first, and she got tripped by another runner and fell flat on her face. Now, these, these ladies were going at a very strong clip. I looked at the video. She fell on her face, got back up with about a lap to go and ended up passing everybody and won the race. Don't quit. Well, friends, there are going to be situations in all of our lives that make us feel like we're just being pounded for our faith, but we need to get up and we need to persevere. It's always too soon to quit. And with God, you can. With Jesus, you can. Well, we appreciate those of you who have contacted us about partnering with Walk in Truth financially. It's very deeply appreciated. As you may have heard in previous broadcasts, we are seeking to add more radio stations this year so more people can hear these teachings and grow in their faith and their walk with the Lord. If it's on your heart to partner, you can give online or set up monthly giving. You can even get our mailing address to give that way as well. Just go to walkintruth.com, click on that donate button at the top, and just in case, let me give you our mailing address. Here it is. It's walkintruth1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Again, Walk in Truth, 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Well, we've run out of time for this time on Walk in Truth, but please tune in again tomorrow on this station to hear the conclusion of Christ in you, the hope of glory. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.